This is a Federal News Network podcast. It's time for Fed Talk, the live show for Feds in the Know. From federal agencies to Capitol Hill, the attorneys of Shaw, Bransford, and Roth bring in experts from across the federal community to bring you inside the issues. Fed Talk is meant to provide general information about legal issues. However, the views expressed in this program are not intended to provide legal counseling. Listeners are cautioned not to rely upon any statements made in resolving legal issues they may face, but instead to consult with their own attorney about specific situations. Attorneys are not engaged in providing legal services while appearing on the program and are not responsible in any manner for the consequences that may stem directly or indirectly from reliance on any statement made during this program. Good morning and welcome to Fed Talk. Today is Friday, March 26, 2021. I'm Jason Breifel from Shaw, Bransford & Roth. Today we're discussing the ways that data is driving the future of organizations and federal agencies alike. First, let me welcome to the show Shane Canfield. Shane is the Chief Executive Officer of Worldwide Assurance for Employees of Public Agencies, known inside the Beltway as WEPA. Welcome, Shane, again to Fed Talk. Great to be here. Thank you so much, Jason. I'd also like to welcome WEPA's Senior Vice President for Operations, Tony Zarante. Tony, welcome to Fed Talk. Thank you, Jason. Happy to be here today. And finally, this show would not be complete without our third guest, Nick Hart. Nick is the president of the Data Foundation. Nick, thanks so much for joining this conversation today. Of course, appreciate the invitation. Uh, so I'm going to outline our, our program for our audience briefly. In our first segment, we're going to introduce our guests, take a look at the catalyst pushing data-driven future that we find ourselves living in today. Then we're going to look at uh, a deeper dive into how agencies and public sector serving organizations are using data to improve and modernize uh, their operations and the outcomes that they're, they're seeking to deliver for their customers. Finally, we'll wrap up with a discussion around what tech innovations are working and what's to come into the future. Before we dive into the meat of this discussion, I want to remind everyone that FedTalk is brought to you by the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program. The program is sponsored by the U.S. Office of Personnel Management, insured by John Hancock Life and Health Insurance Company, under a group long-term care insurance policy administered by Long-Term Care Partners, LLC, doing business as FedPoint. To learn more, visit them at www.ltcfeds.com today. Uh, Well, again, thank you all, Shane, Tony, Nick, for joining the program today. Just to set the stage uh, a little bit, want to have a chance to introduce uh, each of you uh, and your organizations to our listeners. Uh, Nick, please tell us about the Data Foundation. Sure. Well, uh, the Data Foundation is a DC-based nonprofit that really spends its days focused on data policy. And so by that, I mean the information management infrastructure that we talk about a lot in the federal, state, and local government, and how we take that information that government's collecting and make it useful for society. So fundamentally, we believe in open data and transparency of information But most importantly, when government's collecting data, that it serves some broader purpose and benefit to society, whether it's to the decision makers who are inside government or the American public and making better decisions for their own daily lives. Thanks so much, Nick. Really appreciate kind of the the high level overview of what you and the team at the Data Foundation are focused on. Uh, Shane, I know you've been on Fed Talk before, um, but I want to make sure that you have a chance to, to explain to our audience. Uh, what WEPA is, uh, what, what you all are doing. WEPA is, uh, was founded in 1943 by uh, executive request of President Roosevelt to provide then unavailable life insurance to civilian federal employees serving overseas in war zones where life insurance was not available. So WEPA was born and um, uh, we were then and remain a nonprofit and our mission has not changed is to promote the health, welfare, and financial well-being of civilian federal employees. So it's, it's got a robust, uh, history. It's, uh, 46,000, uh, insureds in the program. So it's, it's, you know, the size of a fortune 100 size, um, employee base, if you will. Uh, we are a 
501c9, which is a unique part of the tax code, which is a for, uh, I'm sorry, a nonprofit association. And we serve federal employees. Uh, we, our board are all civilian uh, SES level federal employees. They're non-paid. Uh, it is uh, a, an act of devotion to federal employees. And we say we are formed by feds and for feds. That's not just a tagline. That's actually true. So uh, we have a very dedicated staff. Uh, we're in Falls Church, Virginia, but we serve um, feds nationwide. So um, it's a unique organization in the world of it blends the world of insurance and nonprofit. Thanks so much, Shane. I appreciate uh, the framework and, and the bottom line on, on WEPA and uh, um, want to turn into our conversation now, now that we've got a chance to hear both what, what WEPA and the Data Foundation do and kind of bring us into the situation that we find ourselves in now. We're in the middle of, of a global pandemic, uh, COVID-19, um, and I think that uh, the, the pandemic is really impacting data and information because in many different ways, both from a, a public standpoint, people need to know, want to know what's going on out there. But I also know that we're collecting and trying to make sense of, of kind of gobs of information, data. Um, and I know that your, your businesses uh, at WEPA, uh, agencies that you may be working with, Nick, at the Data Foundation and companies um, are trying to to uh, sort their way through this. And, and so kind of was hoping that you could each kind of speak to kind of what are some of the things coming about uh, in this space because of the pandemic? Kind of how is the pandemic serving as an accelerant to efforts that may have already been going on in terms of leveraging data? Uh, to drive decisions, to drive action, to drive insights. Um, and um, Nick, let's let's go back to you first on this one. Sure. Yeah. I mean, the the reality is the global pandemic has highlighted so many challenges about data and information management and needs that we've known about for a generation. And in some ways, that's that's the frustrating thing here is that we've known about some of the problems that we're currently encountering at an abstract level for quite a long time. But now we're faced with solving those in real time amidst the pandemic. And this is, this is not a critique of federal civil servants. It's not a critique of any particular person. It's a critique of a system that was not designed for the rapid response that we actually need for a pandemic. Uh, things like, uh, you know, everybody has seen the numbers in the Washington Post about uh, caseloads and fatalities caused by the pandemic. But we have a national data infrastructure that's built in partnership with states and tracking mortality. It was never envisioned for daily reports. It was just not designed for that kind of capability or reporting. We have some reports that are coming in from hospitals that are still done by fax, things that are done by paper. We have an archaic infrastructure that is, this is not about the pandemic per se, this is about the capabilities that we didn't plan for as we entered the 21st century. So I, I think really in, in some, and this is kind of the headline for me, is the pandemic is an opportunity for us to begin getting some of these longstanding information management issues right, or at least making some nominal improvements or some major improvements in our capabilities to not just link or analyze, but also to share across governmental jurisdictions and empower federal servants, federal civil servants, researchers, even industry to do the kinds of analytics that are currently being demanded by policymakers. So, you know, amidst the challenge, I see just an incredible opportunity as we look at the landscape going forward. Thanks so much, Nick. I love that uh, framing of, of challenge and opportunity. And I want to come back with Shane and Tony to hear about how WEPA has been tackling that after our first break and a word from our sponsor. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Network. 
Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. Welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Network. We just heard from Nick Hart from the Data Foundation on the challenges and opportunity presented here to, to reimagine and rethink how we're doing things um, in government and with data in society. I wanted to, to come to Shane Canfield and Tony Zarante from WEPA to unpack that some more uh, and, and talk about how that is affecting your business um, uh, a long-standing business um, that had established processes. And, and what does that mean for you, Shane? I will start this and then turn it over to Tony. But conceptually, we have, we're looking at this from two different angles. One is the long-term ability to uh, package, manage, collect data that we use as an ongoing business concern. And Nick, Nick kind of referred to that too. We've all been talking about how to use data for a long time. You know, this isn't new information, but it's getting more and more complex. The challenges are more and more. And COVID certainly did impact the kind, the need for more real-time data, the kind of data that we collect. And it also forced us to reconfirm in some cases and reimagine what are the metrics that are driving our world today? You know, what are the things that we can look at in, in, at my level, high, you know, dashboards? What, what are those places where we say, wow, there's a trend. We've got real-time data. Or if we don't, we need to have real-time data so that we can make adjustments uh, that affect the course of the business and our service to our members immediately. So it's an evolution of that process. That's one tier. And the second tier is COVID, and we're in the insurance business, life insurance business. So there were many impacts, of course, to how we did business. But one of them was a a journey that we had already started some years ago where people want to, the old ways of underwriting, the old ways of bringing new insurers into our program. And it's not just us, but it's all life insurance companies. They don't really work anymore. So for a hundred years, life insurance companies were doing medical underwriting. You know, they would send a pyramid to your house and we would, you know, do samples and collect information and some cases, EKGs, all of these kind of things. COVID turned that upside down. Absolutely. We can't do that anymore, literally. So we've had to shift how we identify and collect information that we can use to make good decisions about financial promises that we're making, you know, decades in the future, right? So, so we have to get this right. We, we can't guess. There's no room for error here. If we're making a promise to pay a million dollars to a, somebody's family 40 years from now, we better really understand that risk to to our business it has implications for cash flow whatnot and we are we're doing we're doing great work here but um you ask generally a, a transition those are the two it's it's the insurance business component of what we do and it's the actual running of WEPA. and so tony did you want to talk to that a minute or either one or both sure I, I mean i think you really hit the nail on the head uh shane in particular as covid19 uh, is impacting our data, you know, what we're, what we're collecting, how we're using, how we're leveraging it. Um, and the medical underwriting example is, is a great one, right? You know, where um, there's 100 years of doing, literally doing what we do a certain way. And there's very little deviation from that until, you know, quite honestly, the last few years. So, you know, we had to take a step back, you know, a year ago and say, we know this is going to negatively impact sales. And to Shane's point, that could have an impact later on down the line with the risk to our group. So we had to take a look at saying, 
Can we modify medical underwriting procedures? What else can we do in this process, right, to streamline it so it's not a four to 12 week decision point and it can be a much quicker process? And we leveraged the data that was existing, um, you know, with, with our external vendors and whatnot, um, and also what we knew internally to come to, a, a, you know, a conclusion that we can modify certain uh, parameters of the, of the application process and streamline it during this time period. And we can mitigate the near-term risk and the, far t- and, the, and the far-term risk as well. And so that's one example where COVID has really kind of forced our hands, so to speak, into, into have us make a decision, you know, that is prudent for the company short-term and long. Thanks, Tony. And I've got a, got a follow-up here for you and then want to sh- shift this over to Nick as well. Are there totally new data sources, totally new analytic techniques that because of the amount of information, you know, how quickly it's coming in, that, that you've had to figure out how to put in place, uh, you know, kind of like, like Shane described, you're, you're making promises for the future, but you need to uh, make sure that the decisions you're making today are, are as strong as they can be so that those promises can be met. Um, you know, just is there anything that, that you want to share with the audience in, in that journey uh, that sticks out for you? Yes, absolutely. So to your point, Jason, there are new databases um, that, that assist ex- specifically in what we do, right, in terms of uh, medical underwriting for, for life and or health insurance and that sort of thing. Um, so there are new databases that have been stood up le- literally just within the past few years for other reasons as well as kind of this emerging idea of, of not taking, you know, um, blood samples any longer has come about. So we, um, we, were, we were in the front seat leveraging those new databases that are coming out. And there are still, to this day, there are uh, more new type of um, data aggregators for, for, um, for things that we do that are coming online too. So we are constantly scanning the market to see what, what fits well within, within our industry, um, what makes sense to us as well to, uh, to go ahead and utilize those if necessary. Thanks so much, Tony. And Nick, really, really interested in kind of what you and, and folks at the Data Foundation are, are seeing around this kind of the, 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 the new normal, the, the wild west of data that, that we're living in right now. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that I could describe what the new normal is yet, but I, I think there have been a lot of really amazing innovations that we've watched happen in real time over the last 12, 13 months during the pandemic, including in government. Um, I mean, I alluded earlier to the fact that we have some data collections that happen by fax machines still, even though we're in the 21st century, we're operating in 20th century technologies. I think there's an increased recognition, particularly as employees went virtual, that doesn't work anymore. I mean, maybe there are still places and cases where we need paper-based data collections, but by and large, a major upgrade in our systems infrastructure to enable machine-readable information that can actually be analyzed is so essential for all of these purposes and more. So beyond the pandemic, I mean, think about anti-poverty programs and making better eligibility decisions that might have implications for uh, fraud detection or... Uh, improper payments in government and getting the the benefits right. Think about the speed that we can improve decisions and disability determinations for the Social Security Administration or the VA if we have better data infrastructure. The the value proposition of doing some of these things is, I think, what we're, we're now able to watch in some ways because of the pandemic. And it's not to say it wasn't there before. It's that things became really clear when everybody went virtual what you couldn't access anymore, where the gaps were in responding to the American public on decisions that people expected their government to be able to do in a timely way. So now the burden is on government and the private sector, frankly, to deliver on making those improvements real. Uh, I think we're, we're on the cusp. We're starting to see some of those applications and agencies, but this is also a challenge, right? Like we, we have a lot of contracting provisions in government. We have a number of hurdles that can slow down that innovation and progress, even when we all recognize it's necessary. When I'm describing innovations, I'm also thinking about new data collections that benefit 
uh, the insurance industry, the financial services industry, uh, really like the entire public, things like what the Census Bureau did, where they recognized that the speed with which they needed to collect data last year was not something that was enabled in the current environment. So they launched new massive surveys, a business survey and a household pulse survey. And it was a way of generating rapid insights. And so now there's questions on the survey instrument for the households that involve health conditions. Uh, we're learning about what's happening in schools because of a new rapid data collection that the Department of Education launched. This is another lens on the term of innovation of recognizing that there's an information gap and need that must be filled. We don't bog it down in bureaucratic, technocratic process, but we identify a strategy to make it fast and actionable and real. And in my mind, this has implications that are really cross-cutting for our society, including strengthening trust in our own government to know that it's asking these questions and trying to fill the information needs that are, are, are so critical to what's happening in society today. So again, I think the innovation that we, we've seen uh, through new data collections, through new approaches, uh, and even, I mean, we could talk about things like AI and some new privacy technologies that are coming online that really also bolster this capability. So I think there's a lot happening out there in government in, in partnership in many cases with the private sector that is so encouraging for where we're headed in the years to come. Yeah, and, and um, I, I think that's, that's, that's really interesting. And I hope Jason and Nick will be able to talk about uh, privacy and the transmission of data, but also building new models to make things faster and looking out for bias in AI. This is a big deal to us. We've spent a lot of time in this space and more to come, but maybe for a later time. But one thing that struck me was you mentioned new ways of doing things. So the pandemic hit us and, um, you know, we're wired into the federal community, so we're not an agency, but, you know, this is where we are every day. And, and um, so we emptied our, our building we own a building in Falls Church. We emptied that in March because of COVID. Was it March, Tony? I, I, I'm sorry, 2020 is a blur now, right? Um, so we had to do business at home, working from home. And uh, all of a sudden, these plans that we had in place and in process, Jason, plans in place that were accelerated, is how do we do this remotely? Because we're, we are in a business that's highly regulated, just like financial services are. There's a lot of paper. There are a lot of wet signatures. There's all kinds of files uh, that we have. And we had some of this was virtual, some of it not. But now all of a sudden, if we're going to effectively do our business, serve our members, you know, you're talking about government, government agencies serving the general public. We're similar in that we are a nonprofit and serve federal employees. How do we do this fast from home in a remote environment? And all of a sudden, we had a whole new set of dilemmas and a new timetable with how do we go green all the way? And uh, it's, it's in the world of insurance, it isn't just a matter of taking a bunch of stuff and throwing it through um, the scanner. It's far more complex than that. There are regulatory issues and uh, then there's also the privacy dynamic, which maybe we'll hit on later. But you you, you struck a nerve there, Nick, with uh, new processes that are forced on us. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. But it, we didn't have any choice. We're going to pause here to take our second break. And we're going to come back to this discussion after a word from our sponsors. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Network. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. 
Shaw, Bransford, and Roth. One team working all three branches. Judicial, legislative, executive. Judicial. SB&R employment attorneys offer specialized legal representation for federal managers. Legislative. Lobbyists in government and public affairs advocating for corporate clients. Executive. Produces two free weekly newsletters, Fed Manager and Fed Agent. Shaw, Bransford, and Roth is your one destination for all three branches of government. Online at shawbransford.com. SB&R. Client-focused. Results-driven. Welcome back. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Network. We're entering the second half of our show with Tony Zarante and Shane Canfield from WEPA and Nick Hart from the Data Foundation. Uh, we were talking about data, everything data, and how it's uh, driving our world. And one interesting thing that Shane mentioned before the break was that uh, part of the success that WEPA has seen accelerating through the curve of the pandemic um, was that there were plans already in place uh, from, from prior years that, that helped uh, the organization lean into uh, the opportunity that, that we've been in. And uh, I wanted to ask you, Nick, that question kind of in the federal government context. Um, I know you've been involved and in, in, in key to, to legislation like the Evidence Act, and there are other mandates around open government data and things like that. And I'm just curious from your perspective, how important were those mandates, were those laws uh, in setting the, the foundation for, for what we're seeing happening right now? Yeah, I, I think this is a really critical point for folks out there who care about data, particularly government collection and management, to know that there is a fairly robust infrastructure in place today. And so I, I would hate to be interpreted as saying that everything is terrible, this is never going to work, because uh, that's certainly not the actual story. There's an incredibly strong foundation on which we can build. Uh, back in 2019, the Foundations for Evidence-Based Policymaking Act was enacted, and that created new roles, new leadership capabilities in government. So we now require agencies to have chief data officers to help govern and manage the data. So it's not about the IT systems, it's about the data thinking about quality and access and even knowledge of what data you have, the foundational things about data. That's the role of a chief data officer. And then coordinating across an agency with external partners, industry, researchers, about when they might need access or be eligible for access to that information. There are other functions that were added in that law too, like an evaluation officer in our biggest departments. And this is specifically thinking about the analytical function of program evaluation. So if our government is spending trillions of dollars, what do you get? What works? What works best in what context? That's what evaluation officers are really tapped to think about now. And to specifically analyze information and data about programs and policies so that we can continue to improve government operations over time. The Evidence Act also included a law called the Open Government Data Act. And this is, this is a really central part of the authority because it also changes the expectation that government data should be open when possible. And it shouldn't just be open, it should be machine readable and frankly usable. And that's a different place than we find ourselves really at any point in history for the US government. Sure, there are some programs that have been doing this for a long time, but this is now the default expectation for every government program, regardless of what topical domain you're in. And if, if we can implement the Open Government Data Act right, it should produce a treasure trove of new resources for industry, for researchers, and for the American public to actually understand what their government's doing. Then that has implications for analyzing uh, what government is doing, how well things are working. And the burden should no longer be on the researcher struggling to get access to government data. But the expectation is that government is actually helping us all in this puzzle of figuring out what works best. The Evidence Act and the Open Government Data Act are really game changers in how our government thinks about data and evidence. And the uh, last couple of years, even before the pandemic, there was a phenomenal effort underway to produce a federal data strategy that fundamentally sought to, to provide guidance and direction to agencies in implementing a fairly broad set of authorities that are new. And in many cases for agencies, things that they may not have been doing at the level that we expected 
before those laws were passed. The federal data strategy was also produced with incredible feedback from industry and researchers and government agencies themselves. And so it was this collaborative, consensus-driven product that gave us all a North Star and a clear plan for how to make incremental progress over time. So things like having data governance boards and federal agencies to think about those big governance questions around data, um, how we coordinate across the new chief data officers by having a council, an interagency council and a community of practice where they can talk to each other, identify strategies for improving uh, across the board. Uh, those are all things that were included in the data strategy and much, much more. And so to your question about what was foundational, that was really, th this is the point. Those laws, the data strategy, these are things that we should have been doing a decade ago, maybe even longer in government. Now we're doing them. And so agencies were really well positioned going into the pandemic with a strategy and a plan to make some of those changes. We got a lot of progress even amidst the pandemic when agencies went virtual. They continued producing and delivering on the items that were articulated both in the law and the data strategy. It's not to say everything was perfect, plenty of things were delayed, but they made really phenomenal progress. And I think much of that is a credit to the very dedicated civil servants and even some of the political appointees that truly prioritized data as a core asset and a strategic asset for government. They made it real. Awesome, Nick. Thank you so much for, for laying out the big picture for us here. And Tony, I want to come back to you and, and maybe kind of you can give us uh, at the WEPA level inside your organization, kind of what some of those things that, that, that Nick touched on um, have meant for you and, and your team and the company. You know, I'm thinking things like, like data governance, like process modernization, some of these other things. Um, and, and just kind of curious if, if you can unpack that a little bit more and, and again, tell your story at WEPA. Sure. Yeah. What what Nick just said really hit home for us um, because ironically, a, a little about five years ago, we began to embark on a data mod, data modernization effort. Uh, so Shane led the charge along with the leadership team and our CIO. The kind of we we had data, but it's literally in reams of three ring binders, you know, from way back in the day. Um, and then we had some modern data. So we needed to blend both that that historical data but then also have a way to dynamically um, access and pull all our own, our own reports uh, in the modern age so that we can, so that we can, we all can use that as leaders at WEPA, um, both when we talk with the, with the ourselves, amongst ourselves, but also um, when we talk with external stakeholders, such as the board or other, or other vendors as well. So we embarked on that uh, journey about five years ago. We started that journey. And um, part of that key too, again, Nick, to your point, was that this was designed so the data would be open, right? So this wouldn't just be all this data that now we have, we're collecting it efficiently, there's no gaps in the data, et cetera, but it's not just for Shane, the CEO, to consume. It's for anybody as needed uh, in the organization at WEPA can access these dashboards, can access the raw data if need be, and they can, and we can each leverage them in our own way if we needed a new data point or if we um, needed to refine an existing data point. So what Nick said really is at home. And fortunately, we started on that journey several years ago, and we're really starting to see the, the efforts uh, of all that work here and back in, in 2020 and really thus far in 2021, and we really kicked into high gear. So it's been a, a great journey for our organization to, to follow. Thanks, Tony. And I've got a got a follow up for you. You mentioned the the partnership with your executive leadership team, uh, including with your CIO. Um, curious if you could kind of talk a little bit more about the roles and responsibilities, who, who's in charge of what, and and how that's working uh, at WEPA. And then Nick, we'll we'll come over to you to, to to get some insights on a recent report that I know the Data Foundation recently released on this topic. Right. Um, so great question, Jason. So our, our CIO really is leading the charge in terms of the, the data stewardship, right? So um, he, and he has stated numerous times that he doesn't drive the bus. He just wants to be able to support the organization in any way possible, right? So um, if we need a new system to do X or Y, 
he's there to find the right solution for us. And, and ironically, he did come from the, uh, he was a civilian federal employee. So he's, you know, he's probably listening to what Nick says. And it's really ringing true for him right now, because he came from that same, you know, from, with that lens. Um, and, and so our CIO really is at the forefront there, you know, and again, working closely with the leadership team and Shane in particular on, you know, making sure there's no gaps in data. Um, security is a huge part of what we do too as well. You know, we are collecting, um, we have to collect social security numbers. Uh, we collect medical information on individuals. That's just, that's just part of the job with what we do. So it is of paramount importance. It cannot be stressed enough how, how, um, how high we, we can take security seriously around the organization. So he, he is the steward of that. And, and then we all fall, uh, we all fall in, in place to make sure that we're, that we're following um, you know, those protocols and chain, of course, leading the charge there with, with kind of the vision of where we're gonna go as well. Shane, anything to add on this before? Uh, yeah, we, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's been quite an evolution. So um, one thing that happens is as you start to get those foundational pieces right, uh, you know, the data all has, the systems all have to marry up to one another, the, the, the records, uh, you know, it gets very finely detailed and mundane. But if, if the data isn't uniformly in all systems, uh, in such a way, you know, I come from the days where we had relational databases. That term doesn't even mean anything anymore. But you know, you have to. The data has to talk to one another. So once, as, as Tony described, once, and our new CIO certainly is huge with that too. Tony and and he work work hand in hand along with other leaders. But once you get past that phase. Now you're into how do you develop metrics which are meaningful? How do you develop real-time data, which, you know, and just, just the other day, we were refining uh, one of our dashboards about uh, revenue, which equates to premium versus expenses. And, and so that ratio in the insurance business is the expense ratio. Well, how do you calculate the expenses? Well, so, You've got different data points. You've got a you've got a finance system, an accounting system. You've got our 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 record keeping system where we talk about premiums. Those two things have to speak together. But the finance and accounting folks may define revenue a little differently than it's set up in the other system. And so it, there has to be a lot of communication, a lot of coming together with. Um, understanding and the intention of getting it. I wouldn't say there's a right or wrong. What is required is that we all understand definitionally what these data points are. How do you put them together? So I think this is what Nick's talking about too. You know, we've been, you've got to put together all of these different data sources, but also pieces of data that may be called one thing in one part of your company or, or agency and it called something else in, in another part. Uh, if you're trying to go to the public, maybe the public has a different thing they call it. You're in the weeds at that point, but if you don't get the weeds right, nothing works. So we spend a lot of time on this. So we're, our evolution is now past the, the how do we collect and define individual records and individual fields and records. I'm dating myself with this terminology, but forgive me. Um, but now we're able to benefit from that hard work to decision metrics, because isn't that where we want to be? And, and Nick was talking about also research metrics. So the, the federal government has a different set of things that it, or a, a bigger set of, of need criteria. But for us, it's, it's really, at this point, it's about decision-making. Nick, let's, let's bring you, bring you in. We just got a lot of, of great insights from, from Tony and Shane, kind of one, your, your first reaction, and then we'll, we'll come back and unpack this some more in our last segment. Yeah, I, I totally agree with, uh, with Tony and Shane on these points. Like this, obviously the, the purview of the federal government is broad. And when we're thinking about the roles and responsibilities of different actors, different leaders, this is a team sport when we talk about data. And the reality is, even though we might allocate responsibilities across different actors, what we really need and what we're really talking about for those of us that 
spend our days talking about data, is improve data literacy across the entire infrastructure, where to, to Shane's point about decision-making, we're actually producing and leading to those indicators that are relevant for decision makers that they can actually use in whatever policymaking activity or program management activity is, is necessary. So from the most senior person, cabinet secretaries or senior managers in an organization, all the way down to the line staff, everybody has a role to play when it comes to good data management and good data use. And that requires data literacy. Thanks, Nick. That's a perfect segue for us to take our final break and hear a word from our sponsor. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Network. Make long-term care insurance part of your retirement plan. Long-term care is expensive, and it's not covered by traditional types of insurance plans. With benefits designed specifically for the federal family, the Federal Long-Term Care Insurance Program offers a smart way to help protect savings and assets and remain independent should you need long-term care services someday. Start planning for the future. Take the next step and visit ltcfeds.com today. That's ltcfeds.com. Welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Network. We're entering our last segment of the show. So let's dive right back in. Um, so uh, Nick Hart from the Data Foundation, I want to bring this one uh, back to you um, and give you a chance to talk about a new white paper that the Data Foundation released that, that really looks at how agencies are organizing themselves uh, to make sense of all of this data that they've got and make sure that everybody is around the table so that management collectively um, is, is using this as a tool um, to, to drive the decisions for the organizations. Yeah, so this was a white paper that I co-wrote with Chris Rowley, who uh, previously was the GSA chief data officer, the first one. And we recognized based on the number of questions that coming in from uh, agencies and partners that there were a lot of challenges in thinking about how agencies should structure this relatively new function in government. Not to say we haven't done data governance before, but having a chief data officer for most agencies is still pretty new. Some agencies chose to align that responsibility with their CIO, their chief information officer. Others chose to stand up independent units. Um, others chose to have the CDO report to yet other people, other senior leaders in the agency. And the key takeaway is that the context for any particular agency is going to vary. And so that means the precise structure, the approach is also going to have some variation across government or even the private sector having CDOs. But there's a key core thread that's really important. The CDO has to have a seat at the table for decision making. They have to have visibility in what's happening across the entirety of an organization that is that they're responsible for thinking about data use and access. And if they don't have that visibility, we'll continue to struggle with enabling the use, improving the quality, assessing the fitness for use of information that we're collecting in any organization. So you know, I'm, I'm an advocate in saying that CDOs, generally speaking, should report fairly high in the organization. So in government, that means a chief operating officer is, is in many cases the best place. That may not be the perfect place in every agency, but that's a way of ensuring that when we're talking about data, that there's a senior level official who has a conduit to the highest level of decision-making in the organization and visibility to what's actually happening that empowers them to make change where it might be necessary. It also speaks well for resources. And then finally, and, and this is a very important point when we talk about this new function in government, that it doesn't burden someone who already has a full plate with new responsibilities. So CIOs in government are fantastic. They also have an incredible responsibility, particularly in the current era, where we're talking about systems modernization, cybersecurity, major procurement issues that are happening. Back when the Open Government Data Act was signed into law, I mean, Congress acknowledged that CIOs had a lot on their plates all the way back then. And that's why they created this new function. So saying that the responsibility should be the same person in any federal agency is a little bit laughable. And you know, maybe there's a couple of cases here and there where it makes a lot of sense. But for the most part, this is such a distinctly important function that it should be a different person. 
And those people still have to work together. That collaboration is still so key for the success of both the CIO and the CDO, as well as whatever organizational or, or agency mission we, we are envisioning. So uh, the paper that we released really tries to explicate some of these different models, but that's the core point is each agency has to figure out which of the models is the most appropriate in their unique context. Really appreciate that. And I think that that's a really important point, especially in public sector organizations where a lot of times folks are looking for the checklist and, and the right way to do things. And, and what I'm hearing here is as long as data is at, at the table and in the middle of the table, uh, that's what matters most because it needs to be driving the decisions for the organization right. that has a champion. Yep. Shane, T Tony, curious kind of about your thoughts on this, you know, even as, as just managers uh, and, and leaders yourselves, kind of any, any reactions to kind of how, how Nick laid this out, uh, thoughts that you may have to share with our listeners on this? I couldn't agree more. I think that uh, the actual structure will, will depend on, um, well, Nick said it. The structure is going to depend on your agency, on your organization. But the idea that the the data officer, if you will, call it call that person. Titles to me feel a little irrelevant here. What you're really talking about is the person who's going to drive, making sure that the data is timely, accurate, useful, and more than just that. But it actually turns into uh, you know, a usable end product, something that's going to help the, the organization or the business fulfill its mission. So I, I, I would only add that, uh, at least from our lens, that is spot on. It's, it, I like the idea of it having the kind of independence that it needs, that it doesn't get sort of lost in the shuffle, no matter where it is. A, a seat at the table um, is absolutely critical because it, uh, I think we all see how important it is in our daily life. Once you have these tools and the data and the management tools that come on top of good data, once you see them, you don't want to go back. You don't want to ever go back. So this naturally, organically elevates that position. W would you agree with that, Tony? Yes, uh, absolutely, Shane. Um, and to take that even a step farther, uh, you know, it's not only what are we gonna, what are we doing now, with with this data. You know, now that we we feel that uh, we have a robust uh, data warehouse and we're leveraging the data, the way we feel is most beneficial. But what are we gonna do tomorrow with the data too, right? So um, it's being forward thinking about about all the work that we put in place and uh, thinking about how that can serve us in the future and not just in the present as well. And so again, that's having that lens, that, that CDO, what, whatever you want to call it, you know, whatever it needs to be in the particular organization or in government, um, having, having that input as well. And again, that, that individual or individuals may not drive the decisions, but they can be there to support uh, the rest of the organization as, as, as we think about, well, what else is this data going to do for us going forward? And they may have some thoughts that may not come into Shane's mind or may not come into my mind or anybody else's mind because they're surrounded by the, the true data every day. Really interesting in that um, when those insights or those, those new thinkings are, are coming up now, it's, it's uh, not just in a program office, it's not just one leader somewhere in the organization. Uh, I'm imagining that kind of that light bulb gets sparked uh, for the management team writ large because they're looking at the information uh, at the same time and together and trying to figure out what that means, as you said, Tony, for, for the path forward um, and, and for decisions that are gonna come um, in the future. And I'm, I'm maybe, you know, uh, just curious if, if you guys could unpack that a little bit, what, what you may be seeing in your organizations or talking with folks out there in the field um, on this, Nick. Well, uh, I guess a, a lot of different ways that I could answer this. Um, I, I think we've seen a great deal of, of success in exactly this area in agencies that don't try to tackle too much at once. And this isn't to say that we skirt the big problems. 
it's really more of a statement about identifying and very clearly delineating the value proposition of better using data. So if you're out there listening to this in an agency, you know, what are the quick wins of things that uh, can help make information more salient for a particular area, a, a dashboard, maybe a data visualization on core metrics around performance or things that you're reporting for annual or agency priority goals. Um, and then there's this really critical next step of being able to explain it and tell the story. And you know, historically, I, I used to really discount the need for the storytelling aspect of data, but more and more, especially as we're talking about these major investments for really wicked problems that are facing our society, being able to articulate to Congress, to agency leadership, to the White House, and to the American public why it matters is so foundational, so essential for being able to not just do the activity once, but then sustain it over time where it's really beneficial. And this has major implications around themes of privacy. When we're using information about the American public, businesses, households, being able to demonstrate the value of actually analyzing that information in a secure way, and then turning it around into a product that maybe benefits them directly in decision-making, benefits society or decision-makers for, for better decisions. So telling that story using data is, I think, maybe a path to success that we haven't really talked about enough in the field we haven't talked about it enough in government for sure, but it's an area that we should really be leaning in on. Uh, one connection that I'll mention is that agencies are required right now by law to be producing what we're calling evidence building plans or learning agendas. And this is yet still another opportunity of saying these are the major questions that we have as an agency or organization that we want to solve. It's the evidence and data that we have to actually address those questions. And then importantly, this is the evidence and data we don't have that we want to build. That's the opportunity right now is not just better using information to make decisions, but filling in the gaps where we can identify them. And so I think this is just a couple of pieces of how we build up into this enterprise of better analytics and better decision making over time. Thank you so much, Nick Hart, president of the Data Foundation. Really appreciate that. And then our last minute or two here, uh, Shane and Tony. Um, Curious about your reaction to, to what Nick just said about the importance of storytelling here. Uh, again, I agree that this is one that um, isn't done enough, but, but is really critical to translating what's going on. Well, uh, this evolution of uh, sort of data, you know, you know, initially collecting it and then, uh, and then, you know, the business, use of that data, the, the agency use of that data, and then blending these things together, I will tell you that being able to tell a story or just be in, being able to communicate with somebody like myself, who, for example, or a board of directors who may not be data oriented in the sense that we didn't grow up in, in IT or data collection or statistics or you know, mathematics, how do you how do you translate that story into something other people can tell? That is how you make effective change. Because if you can't do that, nobody's going to understand what you're talking about, what you're trying to do. So I, I thought I think that's an interesting comment, Nick. I mean, I I think that that's absolutely part of it, and this requires really agile and broad skill set. So um, thank you, Jason. I hope that helps. Well, unfortunately, that is all the time that we have for today. I'm sure we could have kept going for a whole lot longer. I really want to thank Nick Hart from the Data Foundation, Shane Canfield and Tony Zorante from WEPA for joining us on Fed Talk today. I want to remind our listeners that Fed Talk is brought to you by the Federal Employment Law Firm of Shaw, Bransford & Roth. Have a great weekend.